what is he talking about, I asked myself. An anthology of hymns, I had no memory of proposing it. To this day, I do not know what prompted me to make a proposal of a hymns anthology. Welcome back to another episode of Him Partial, the podcast where we talk all things church music. I'm Cara Peregrino. And I'm Monet Funka. And today we are talking to special guest, Dr. Leland Riken. We talk about what it means to read hymns as poetry and what the church has to gain from relearning this valuable skill. But first, stop what you're doing and help us keep in contact with you. If you're on YouTube, subscribe to our channel, like and share this episode. No, really, stop right now and do that. Alternatively, if you're listening to us, go on over to impartial.com where you can support us financially or sign up for our free weekly newsletter. Newsletter subscribers get first access to our bonus content. And in this week's clip, Leland shares with us some of the biggest surprises he encountered in his journey in hymnody. We cannot stress enough how important it is to sign up for the newsletter if you don't want to miss our episodes. YouTube has had a bit of a stranglehold on us recently, and if you want our episodes, the best way to do that is get them direct. You can do that by going to impartial.com and signing up for our newsletter. Yes, this is true. We have been getting seriously squashed in terms of our visibility on YouTube. So for you super loyal folks who are already signed up, thank you very, very much. But for all of you who have not signed up to our free weekly newsletter, what are you waiting for? Go, go, do it, do it, do it. And yes, this week's highlight was so much fun. But our guest full stop was amazing but that we always say that right we wouldn't have them on but um yeah Leland Riken is just such a humble person like legitimately I find the smarter our guests are the smarter they make me feel like I feel like somehow I'm like do we know the same things the answer is no not even close but I feel like a very smart person makes you feel like you're also smart too, like you're participating in their intelligence. Mm-hmm. So that is definitely the case throughout the entire interview with uh, with Leland, and I really appreciated it. Yes, I really struggled uh, with this in- interview because I absolutely love Leland Dragon. <laughs> and so when he was like, yeah, sure, I'd love to come on your show, I was freaking out. Yes. Um, because <laughs> I I love him for his work in literature that was where I first heard of him mm-hmm. and then later on um, I discovered that he also wrote um, these anthologies of hymns these kind of collections of hymns which he'll talk about in a minute in the episode um, and so I was like this is the perfect excuse to talk to one of my literary heroes yeah. and he said yes so that was great but he is a really really smart guy knows a lot about literature but makes it very accessible yes. for those of us who are not got letters after our name yes yes um so yeah we definitely enjoyed it and I think we did talk about a similar subject with um Joe Barnard with his hymn works hymn workouts book that he had written um and so I think that what uh Dr. Riken has to offer is um a different perspective, but not different perspective, a different insight into the same topic. And he has such a wealth of knowledge on this that I think it's not the same discussion that we had with Joe, Mm -hmm. uh, but it definitely adds to it. I also think if you're listening to this episode first, 
and you get to the end of the episode and you think, man, what he said really resonates with me. I would love to learn to read Hymns more as devotional poetry. You could go buy his book. You could also go back and listen to our episode with Joe Barnard. Yeah. Um, which we will link in which Joe Barnard actually gives um, a few different practical yes. um, suggestions on how to start doing that as well. So yeah, the two the two episodes just go to well very well together, go together beautifully. And so without further ado, um, let's get to the episode. So Leland Riken is Emeritus Professor of English at Wheaton College in the United States, where he taught for 52 years. He has had a writing career as well as a teaching career and has published 65 books. These books cover diverse subjects, including literature and the arts in Christian perspective, work and leisure, the Puritans, and above all, the Bible's literature. In his current phase of publishing, he has found a niche as a compiler of anthologies of classic devotional texts, with each one accompanied by a 500-word analysis by Dr. Riken. Three of these anthologies have presented and analysed familiar hymns as devotional poems. Leland Riken, welcome to the show. Happy to be here. We're delighted to have you. So tell us, where did your interest in literature and how it relates to faith begin? And how did you end up becoming an expert in hymns? I am a retired professor of English. I taught at Wheaton College in the United States for 52 years. I had a writing and publishing career in addition to a teaching career. In fact, I have published 65 books to date. Here at the end of my career, I have carved a niche for myself as an anthologizer. What I do is compile anthologies of what I will call classic texts, each one accompanied by a 500-word explication from me. Now, three of these anthologies have been hymns printed and analyzed as devotional poems. Humanly speaking, I fell into my career as a hymns person. Now, of course, it was by divine providence. Here's how it happened. Five years ago, I was without a publishing project. At a retiree's retreat, I went to Lakeside of a sunny afternoon. I drew up a list of eight books that I could see myself publishing. I did not expect a favorable response from the, my current publisher because I had published so many books with Crossway Books. Nonetheless, I sent my list of books to my contact person. Crossway Books accepted my proposal for an anthology of classic devotional poems of the type I teach in the classroom. Mm. And then my contact person said, now we're not opposed to an anthology of hymns, but we want to see how the poems do first. What is he talking about, I asked myself, an <laughs> anthology of hymns? I had no memory of proposing it. <laughs> to this day, I do not know what prompted me to make a proposal of a hymns anthology. I had never <laughs> analyzed a poem as uh, a, a hymn as a poem up until yeah. that point. Wow. Well, I polished off my poetry anthology. I was left without a publishing project. So I sent my eight topics to a new publisher with whom I had never published. They were unimpressed. <laughs> as an afterthought, 
um, I sent a plaintive email to my contact person, who incidentally has Scottish ancestry, asking if perhaps this press might be interested in a hymns anthology. They latched onto the idea, and I have not been the same since. It has been an absolutely fabulous enterprise. That's amazing. It's funny how these things happen. It's so unexpected. I actually have um, one of your hymn anthologies. It's 40 favorite Christian hymns. And it was one of my first introductions to you in relation to hymns. I'd known about you in relation to literature because I like to write. So I'd read some of your books. But I have 40 classic hymns and I really like it. Recommend it. Mm-hmm. It was an eye opener for me as well as for you. <laughs> That's lovely. I love to hear how the Lord works um, in our lives in such unexpected ways. And obviously, in the in your life, it has blessed many, as Cara is attesting to just now. So on that note, your books encourage people to read and analyze hymns as poems or devotional poems. What What does that mean? And how can we learn to do that if it's not a process we're familiar with? Well, I'll just begin by saying every hymn begins as a written text. It consists of words only. Mm -hmm. That text has the properties of a poem. It is written in lines. There are rhyming sounds at the end of the lines. The uh, text consists of images and metaphors. In short, it's like a poem I teach in my literature courses. The written text becomes a hymn only when it is paired with music, and that is always a second step beyond the initial one. This is confirmed by hymn writer Timothy Dudley Smith, one of the foremost 20th century hymn writers. He has published an edition of his poems with accompanying notes, and he says regarding his first hymn, which also became his signature hymn, that it, quote, was not written as a hymn, not written as a hymn. Hmm. Well, what was it written as? A poem. It became a poem only when the uh, editors of the Anglican Hymn Book solicited that poem to be a hymn. Well, you then asked, what does it mean to read poems as devotional, hymns as devotional poems? Well, let me answer that also. It starts by reading and interacting with the hymn as a words-only text, and with the stanzas printed in sequence, one beneath the preceding stanza. To experience a hymn as a poem, we need to see it printed as a poem. Now, that is revolutionary in what I am talking about. The first thing that happens when we do that is we focus on the words. That itself is revolutionary. When we sing, much of our attention flows to the music. I'm not going to hesitate to say it's diverted by the music. That's not (laughs) bad. It's just saying our attention flows from the words to the music. Reading and pondering a hymn as a poem allows us to focus single-mindedly on the words. The next thing that happens is that we see the flow and progression of a hymn. In our hymn books, we return to the same starting point at the beginning of every stanza. That creates a reading experience that is almost completely cyclic. To see the stanzas printed one under the other gives us a sequential reading. Nothing emerged more strongly from my study of hymns than the care with which hymn writers create a sequence or progression 
in mm. what they write. And when we interact with the poem, the hymn as a printed poem, we see that sequence. We trace it. So that's part of what it means to read a hymn as a poem. Hmm. Okay, I think that will suffice. It's interesting because I never thought about what it meant to break a hymn into um, a visual with the music in on top of it. Because, you know, when you, you look at hymnals that have the music notes printed, it's usually, you know, broken up you know, line one, line two, line three, line four, line one, line two, line three, line four. And that actually like kind of breaks up how you're supposed to read it because you're thinking of it musically instead of like our church for the longest time had just the text only hymnals. And that's where you're actually seeing it broken up as a poem. I never thought about that until just now. Uh, I want to add a historical note. Until the 1870s, hymn books consisted of words-only books. Mm -hmm. They were five inches by three inches, if you can imagine. These uh, books were carried about day by day from home to office to school and so forth. The first time I attended a British church was All Souls Church in London. Um, I went with a group of college students. The hymn books were of the type I just described, five inches by three inches, words only. It was so quaint. It was a magical experience. We we sang hymns by John Bunyan and George Herbert that morning. <laughs> I've been trying to recreate the magic of that ever since. Uh, the point is, I have become so committed to hymns as poems that I now prefer to sing from a words only text in church also. Mm-hmm. Much of what I am commending and that is really there in the hymns is available to me only. If I can see the whole poem as a single entity, Mm -hmm. I was so surprised by the following. Most hymnic poems give us the big idea in the first line or pair of lines, but I am not aware of that. I'm not aware it's an introduction to the whole poem when I see the uh, hymns printed as they are in a hymn book, I'm just preoccupied with the first stanza by itself. Mm-hmm. So in short, a lot emerges once we have the whole poem before us as a single visual entity. Mm-hmm. It's so funny hearing you say that because um, before you, we were recording and I was telling you about how I had hated, um, I really hadn't liked singing the old hymns and then starting to read them. It is actually a three inch by five inch hymn book that we had, and it was not a music version. And so you could just look at them, uh, the verses laid out, and it was it was helpful, I think. More mm-hmm. helpful than when you see them kind of disjointed on a projector or something. I agree. Yeah. Yeah, the I guess the display matters, though we know that's controversial to say nowadays. But, you know, you don't have to be committed to uh, the, you know, projector, non-projector. Uh, you don't have to be committed to one in order to do what you're saying. You just need to have a hold of a hymnal that has text only and to basically crack it open and start reading it um, as a poem and... I think that's what you're saying. Or at yes, least that's what uh, you're saying. absolutely. <laughs> when, 
we speak of hymns book before the 1870s hymn books as being uh, words only. What we're really saying is they were anthologies of devotional poems. That's mm. what they were. Mm. So I'm not proposing something new. I am reclaiming a very old tradition. <laughs> Right on. Yeah, I hadn't realized. Um, we recently did a, an episode about hymn books, and I hadn't realized how common it is now to have music in them. Um, but that seems to be quite a U.S. thing. But there you go. <laughs> so um, you said that you believe that assimilating a hymn text as a poem compensates for certain things that are lost when we only sing a hymn. And you've alluded to that a little bit in your previous answers. But can you elaborate on some of that for us? Yes. Let me begin by defusing the issue. <laughs> um, singing a hymn compensates for certain things that are lost if we only read it. Mm. So it should not seem combative to claim the reverse of that. Namely, reading a hymnic poem compensates for certain things that are lost in its singing. One thing we lose when singing a hymn is the opportunity to assimilate the words at our own pace. When we sing a hymn, we're not allowed to stop and ponder and unpack the images. We have to keep up with the music. We can't stop to uh, contemplate individual phrases. We can't analyze the structure of the poem to see mm. how one stanza leads to the next, how they all relate back to the announced big idea in the opening line. That's all lost on us. I'm going to compare what we're talking about <clears throat> to a Shakespearean play. When I study a Shakespearean play, and teach the text in the classroom. I am free to see what's really there. And there's a lot there, just as when I analyze a hymn as a poem, I can see what all is actually there. How much of that is available to me when I go to a theater and see a performance of a Shakespearean play, or go to church and sing a hymn, for me, the answer is no more than 20%. Well, I'm not ready to settle for that. I want the other 80%. So I continue to study Shakespeare's plays, do research on what other people have seen in them. Likewise with hymns, I'm going to continue to print them as poems, to do with them what I do with poems in the classroom. There's just way too much to assimilate that way that I'm not willing to part with. Now, that does not mean I do not enjoy singing the hymns in church. Mm. I do. Or listening to them on a CD. But there is more than simply the singing experience or the theatrical experience. I think that's one of the things I've really enjoyed about researching hymns for this podcast. It's not just about the hymns themselves, it's also taking the time to find out um, about the people who wrote them and the circumstances they were in when they wrote them. I think that as well can add a lot to understanding and believing what it is that we're singing. Yes. I'm going to teach a hymn that uh, you would probably know this coming Sunday in a Sunday school class, Blessed Be the Tie That Binds. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to, this is my first uh, teaching of a hymn in that class, so I'm going to give them a bit of theory at the outset. And I'm going to say three ingredients converge <clears throat> with every hymn. The text itself, that has to be primary. That's, that's our goal, to, to mm -hmm. possess it. Mm -hmm. But this text comes from an author, so I'm going to put in my... Uh, horizontal diagram author off to the left and uh, you are absolutely right often a hymn has a, an occasion 
blessed be the tie that binds began when the pastor and his wife having accepted a call from their Yorkshire church to a famous church in London, they were so moved by the response of the parishioners on the day they were ready to pack up that they decided on the spot to stay. Well, that's the historical occasion for blessed be the tie that binds. Mm. Then over on the right side, there's a third ingredient, namely the audience of this hymn. And um, if the authorial connection yields information about the origin of the hymn, the audience yields what is called the reception history of a hymn. Now, that may be purely personal, what this hymn has meant to me as a person, Mm -hmm. or it might be a family reception history, or it might be uh, the public. For example, the reception history of Blessed Be the Tie That Binds includes the information, it is the most famous farewell hymn Mm -hmm. in the English language. It is so famous in the U.S. that it has become a cultural icon. Mm -hmm. It made it into Thornton Wilder's play um, about, um, the the title escapes me, but it's about hometown, our town, I believe is the name of it. Um, So, yes, uh, the text is important. It's my primary interest as a literary person, but I don't want to ignore the authorial context. Mm -hmm. And on the other hand, the reception history of a hymn, um, in my background as a farm boy in Iowa, every time a, a church member, a, f- a church family was going to move away, at the end of the service, they would be asked to stand in front of the church, face the congregation, and blessed be the tie that binds would be read. So that's, wow. for me, part of the reception history of that hymn. Wow, that's lovely. I didn't know that about that hymn, and that is that does actually kind of affect the the way you sing that hymn the next time you encounter it. And I, I was just thinking about what you were saying there about Shakespeare. Shakespeare, obviously you get some sort of, uh, you get, you, re- you take in some information when it's performed and when it's performed especially well, you could take in some of the information of it. But if you've read through it and you study it and you understand the context in which it was written and what kind of historical things it's pointing to, and then you see it performed, there's so much more, I think, joy to be experienced from knowing all of that first and having studied it. And I do think that we've experienced this on the hymn side of things that will read through the text. It'll be even sometimes we'll be talking on the show about a a hymn that we know really well. You know, we know the words really well. And then Mm -hmm. we'll read through it on the show, read the text, and we'll say, you know what? I just realized that the first stanza talks about God and the second, uh, God the Father. Second stanza talks about um, Jesus the Son. And the third third stanza talks about the Holy Spirit. And the fourth stanza talks about all three of them and like how wonderful that is because you didn't, you had to like see it. You know, you were singing about it, but like you just saw how the author just broke it down like that. And now the next time after we've recorded the episode that we go to sing it at church, we are like, there's so much more joy because we understand the text and we understand the context in which it was written. And I think that I think that brings glory, glory to God because we're not just coming and and mindlessly mouthing the words somebody else wrote, but we're actually bringing that into our worship. So 
yeah, I think that's a really good example that you gave about um, Shakespeare because uh, sometimes our hymn writers have that level of eloquence and you really do need to just sit down and read it. <laughs> you just gave a good summary of my, my enterprise. The optimal experience is to study and possess a hymn as a poem, to really see what all is there. Then to sing it. And when I said the 20% bit, that's just the general experience. Yeah. After I've really looked at a poem and mastered it, I see more than 20% when I sing it. But the point is, I have done the work that would enable me to see all that's really there. In the, text. Mm. Yeah. the hymn you described sounds like holy, 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 I must say. <laughs> it probably Father, Son, is. Holy Spirit and all three, yeah, that's familiar. It probably is. I can't even tell you exactly, but I know it's come up on, mo on multiple occasions where we're like, hey, hang on. We just Good. saw this mid-episode. So, you know, that that's really a blessing. So, I mean, we kind of talked about it, but I think it's safe to say that the church as a whole has really kind of stopped reading hymns as poems. Um, and obviously, we're trying to encourage this. You're trying to encourage this. Um, that that we kind of shift back the other way. Why do you think the church has made that shift? Why do you think we've kind of just abandoned reading these hymn texts as poems largely? Well, we haven't uh, been encouraged to do so. That kind of was lost in the 1870s when hymn books started be be being printed with music. So that became the norm. I think we just have to be informed by people such as you and me um, about the possibility of reading and studying hymn texts as yeah. poems. We have to commit to it. For any people who enjoy and love the old hymns, appropriating them as poems is pretty much the only chance we're going to have to retain the hymns. It really mm -hmm. is that serious. The old hymns are not sung in most churches, and even if they are, our favorite hymns are going to be sung once or twice a year, if that often. Well, we're going to lose them at that rate, so yeah. a lot is at stake, and if we really love the hymns, we should move in the direction that I'm encouraging. We should see the hymns printed as poems. We should get a hold of anthologies, such as my anthologies. And we should claim them. That's the way we're going to retain the hymns. Now, as for why the church stopped singing the hymns, there's no adequate reason. Paradigm shifts simply happen, and a lot of them occur for no discernible reason. Mm. The contemporary Christian music is a great trial to me. <laughs> it's just a, parad a different paradigm. It and uh, there's no adequate explanation from my point of view why the great hymns were abandoned. Mm. They just were. Mm. It's interesting. I think my theory on this has been that our, our society is increasingly less literate than previous generations. Right. And right. things like poetry are, it's like, a high form of literature like it's 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 something that you have to make effort to understand and you have to have like a a, a vast kind of wealth of knowledge already to understand it you know so sometimes 
I'm, I'll put my hand up and say, I'll be reading through a poem and I'll be like, I don't understand what they're getting at here. And it's because I need to understand the time it was written. I need to understand historically where this writer was and who he was talking to and what his audience was. And then all of a sudden their poetry is so rich and comes alive. The, the modern day equivalent, sadly, is rap. <laughs> and so we can appreciate uh, some people can't, but we, in theory, we can appreciate rap because rap is highly pop cultural. So we know what things are being referred to in a rap song and we can appreciate someone's ability to s- string a thought together with lots of rhyme and lots of, you know, meter or whatever. But that's obviously a, a lot lower form of poetry. It's way down at the bottom, some would say, whereas we don't have like that exposure in schools or in pop culture to like really appreciate poetry. That's my theory. I don't know. It makes total sense to me. Now I want to say about hymns, I subject them to the same kind of analysis that I do with hymns in the classroom. Does that mean they're just like the poems I teach? No, they are simpler. Uh, I regard hymns as poetry for the common person. Now that Mm. to me is a commendation, not in any way a disparagement. So they are more accessible than I think public perception might believe. Mm -hmm. Uh, But yes, I think you make a good point. We have to have some acquaintance with poetry. We have to be able to see how the successive stanzas are variations on a main theme. That's a skill that's acquired But it's pretty easily acquired, I have to say. So we need someone to take us by the hand and say, this is what a a poem is. Here's how a hymn is like a poem. Mm -hmm. It's within reach of anyone who is willing to give it a good try. Yeah. I think you touched on, Monet, something else as well that is a problem in our culture, which is people just don't want to put the work in. Um, We've grown very short in attention span. And we've grown very lazy in our thinking. Um, it's not true of everyone, obviously, but I think in general you see it in the education system um, and in, in pop culture and things. And I think the fact that you have to have this background and you have to think about what it is that you're reading um, probably puts a lot of people off as well. Mm-hmm. I agree. And that's a great tragedy. But Christians ought to rise above that. They yeah. should not settle for minimalism. Yeah. I mean, the Bible requires our best efforts just as thoroughly as a hymn. Amen. (laughs) Amen. And that is the background that we need, quote unquote, to understand these hymns is just familiarity with our Bibles and familiarity with the gospel and the God at the center of it all. So, you know, it is definitely an encouragement to any Christian out there, whether you've been a Christian for five minutes or five decades, you know, to know these hymns better is to know, you know, more about your God. And honestly, we sing these things that have these rich theological truths, and that's what we memorize. That's who. That's how we internalize these, you know, big theological truths. Is because they're in our hymns that we sing every Sunday or every year. Um, so it is a good effort. I think it's a well. Um, it's a good use of your time to go through and read these poems um, to appreciate them before we sing them. Amen. <laughs> so where can people 
follow your next publishing adventure? Where's the best place for people to look out for the next Leland Reichen publishing? Well, adventure? what I would do is if if I were really interested in what we've been talking about, I would get a hold of my three anthologies. They're published by Presbyterian and Reformed publishers. Um, there's a wealth of there. There are 120 um, poems there, hymnic poems. That's a good starting point. I am at work on my ninth anthology of the type we've been describing. This one dealing with uh, nature writing. Um, I have no social media presence, but <laughs> my books are out there and um, they keep appearing. I've really found this career at, at the end of my life as an anthologizer to really be enriching. So mm. um, my latest to be released was just before Holy Week this past Good Friday and Easter. It was a collection of uh, poems, including hymn texts, dealing with um, Good Friday and Easter. Oh. I have a forthcoming Christmas anthology, which I'm sure will be out before the season. It doesn't uh, light your fire over there, I realize, but I have a Thanksgiving <laughs> anthology that I'm pretty optimistic will be um, <clears throat> out before Thanksgiving in November. Hey, a lot of our listeners are in the States, and they are very <laughs> excited about that sort of stuff. So, um, yes. yeah, also. Sorry, I was just going to say you also have a website, LelandRiken.com, where a lot of your lectures and, and other things are available as well. So if you want to visit that, we'll put a link in the show notes. And we'll obviously have links to the books we've been talking about today so folks right. can go and grab a copy. Um, but yeah, we just want to thank you so much. We're going to have you stick around for a bonus question, but uh, we pray that this was really edifying to those of you guys listening. It definitely was to us. And until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you. Bye. Bye.